Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. You know, sh- social media can be a dark place. It can be a place where there are attacks and bullies and vitriol and harassment, sometimes criminal level harassment. Every now and then, though, you connect with somebody and you think, ah, oh, I'm going to learn from this person. And you kind of become Twitter friends or Insta friends, TikTok friends, whatever it might be. Well, I have a Twitter friend that I'm going to introduce you to now, somebody I've never spoken to in real life before, but have gone back and forth with on Twitter. I have followed his account and watched some unbelievable attacks and vitriol leveled at Professor Gavin Yamey. He is a professor of global health and public policy at Duke University. He's director for Center for Policy Impact in Global Health. He is a columnist at Time. And people come at you, Professor, in ways I just, I have to say, you are very, very brave. And one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you today is because of how you manage that. And maybe you can help others like myself deal with similar. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thanks very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. And thanks for that nice uh, introduction. But misinformation, disinformation, racism, anti-Semitism, the trolls, the bully pulpit... When you got into global health and public policy, when you rose to the levels of success that you have as a professor, could you ever have imagined being targeted in the way you have? Um, I mean, it's a lot worse than I could have ever imagined. And I think clearly social media has amplified um, the attacks. You know, I have a background both as a physician. I was in clinical practice first and then um, went into medical journalism and journal editing, really at the very start of the sort of social media explosion. Um, uh, and then I you know, went into academic global health about a dozen years ago, and I try and sort of combine all of these things now with some public communication of science, some policy work. Um, and there's no doubt that uh, the COVID pandemic has unleashed a torrent um you know it was always there the magnitude the vitriol the excess of the last three years has been i think unprecedented and then as you alluded to i think a lot of the kind of extremists the folks who are pushing misinformation disinformation denialism they aren't just extremists in one domain. They appear to be extremists in multiple domains. So they may be anti-vaccine, sure, but along with that, in my experience, the folks who have harassed me, they also express anti-Semitism. They express you know, anti-LGBT views. Um, I was harassed by one anti-vaxxer who was an anti-abortion activist who ran interference for the Russian government. You see this sort of, you know, clustering, if you like, of, ex- of extremist ideas and a clustering of conspiracy theorism. Isn't it something, too, that when there is somebody who comes at you in one way, perhaps anti-vaccine specific to COVID-19 with something that they, you know, lash out with a, a f- something they believe to be true, a fact that they have attached themselves to. And then with your ability to debunk that, it switches and it becomes, it becomes nasty. It becomes personal. Yeah, I mean, that, that has, you know, I'm laughing because I, I, that is one of the techniques I use, right? I try and laugh it off. 
but it does, it becomes personal. I've had, you know, some of the most vicious anti-vaxxers have, you know, harassed me for like ridiculous things. A guy, one of the worst trolls out there who has tweeted about me that literally thousands of times comments about what I wear, my hairline receding, you know, I'm 54. Yes, my hairline is receding. You know, he saw a video of me and commented on the length of my arms. You know, I happen to be tall and have long arms. So it becomes, you know, it becomes ridiculous. Unfortunately, he also is one of the, you know, most kind of grotesque anti-vaxxers out there. But yes, it becomes very personal. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to try and sort of, you know, move on from that, deflect that, ignore that. I mean, obviously, many of us block a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I would say is that I think it's extremely important to distinguish between the kind of stuff we've just been talking about, right? The hardcore anti-vaxxers from those who are vaccine hesitant. I have all the time in the world, infinite yeah. amount of time for those who are vaccine hesitant. There are many reasons why people may hesitate. And, you know, we really should be spending time answering questions, being patient, not judging those who are hesitant for, you know, reasons that we can discuss and explore and not judge about. What we've been talking about, though, are those who are, you know, out there spreading disinformation and denialism some of whom, of course, are doing it for profit. I mean, let's not forget mm -hmm. this is a for-profit industry, the anti-vax industry, very powerful, that monetizes fear and suffering. You know, they, they have made hundreds of millions of dollars selling fake cures and tinctures and lotions and potions and books and videos. And it's venal and extremely cynical. And I you know, like many other folks, try and, and expose these folks, talk about these folks, sunlight is a disinfectant, try and explain to people that those anti-vaxxers are absolutely not to be trusted. We are with Professor Gavin Yamey, Professor of Global Health and Public Policy, Duke University, Director of Center for Policy Impact in Global Health, also a columnist with Time. And Professor, what you were saying there about how the stoking of fears and the selling of, of anti-science is huge business. There's this piece of the puzzle there, the want to collect those hesitant, right? Because it, we've reached this point that it feels like you have to pick a side. You have to be in a camp. You're not allowed to, to say what you just said, which is I have infinite time for somebody who is vaccine hesitant or wants a bunch of questions answered before they move forward with whatever the science might represent for them. It's really fascinating to know the, the big name people, the, the Robert F. Kennedy Juniors of the world who, uh, you know, don't hesitate in throwing down the disinformation when they know it's not true. That's right. Um, and they are doing this for power, for fame, for money. The New York Times did a superb uh, feature on Joseph Merkler, one of the mm. main disinformation merchants. And Merkler himself has said that his net worth is at least $100 million. And I think, you know, folks don't always realize that, that the motivation for a lot of the so-called disinformation dozen, the dozen of the disinformation merchants who peddle the most uh, anti-vax nonsense, is financial. 
Um, and you can't really just present facts to them and say, look at these facts, because they keep moving the goalposts or they will seize on a tiny piece of information that might have some vague sounding credibility and, you know, you debunk that and then they present you with another piece. And it's, it's kind of hopeless. I made the mistake early in the pandemic, uh, something I, I generally regret, although not entirely, but I made the mistake of going on to a podcast of a known anti-vaxxer. And, you know, I was a bit naive and I thought, well, he's got a huge following and maybe I'll reach a couple of people with some decent, solid scientific evidence. And it soon became clear that it was a setup. It was a trap. He was not interested in hearing about data. He would sort of flash up on the screen, on the screen, some kind of nonsense from the Epoch Times. Epoch Times oh, is the no. sort of QAnon's favorite newspaper. And then when the podcast was over, he took to Twitter to start calling me a Nazi and all that kind of stuff. And so oh, it, it, it's, not, it's not a situation in which you can simply present the data and the facts and the evidence. You know, these folks have their minds make up, made up and they have an agenda. And, uh, um, you know, that sort of polite conversation is not really going to do much. I have to say the reason that I don't 100% regret that is that some of his viewers actually ended up writing to me to say they had never, ever heard anyone on his show talk about the benefits and the value and the safety of vaccines. And they were grateful mm. to hear this, what they thought was an alternative view. So, you know, these folks create an ecosystem around them where by their viewers and their listeners are really only hearing disinformation and misinformation. So, you know, so I you did reach a your couple. Wrote to me. Yeah. yeah, I reached yeah. a couple. Even if I reached so one, I, you know, maybe it was it. worth it. Although, <laughs> you know, it was pretty it's, unpleasant, the experience. Also continuing is our discussion with Professor Gavin Yamey. He's a professor of global health and public policy at Duke University and director at the Center for Policy Impact and Global Health. Also a time columnist. He's a musician aficionado. I love your Twitter <laughs> feed. I do enjoy your Twitter. And, and that you continue to keep such a positive attitude and rapport, even in the face of, of disinformation, anti-science, anti-vax, and, and really bully attacks. Uh, personally, where do you think we go from here? Are, have we reached the rock bottom yet? And as you said, you've got somebody on your Twitter who has attacked you thousands of times. Is it time we get to a point where those types of attacks have swift and meaningful consequences to the people that would would attack at you? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Look, I think a lot of the worst folks had been banned from Twitter. This guy had been banned. Um, he was banned for wishing Tony Fauci a slow, painful death behind bars. Um, with Elon Musk taking over, he must let everybody back on, folks like him, you know, Naomi Klein, had been Naomi Wolf. I always forget. <laughs> I always mix up the Naomi's. It's Naomi Wolf, right? Naomi Wolf. Yeah. Yes, yes. She had been. I love Naomi Klein. Naomi Wolf had been banned, and then you know, for just awful um, vaccine disinformation, she's back. I mean, a lot of the worst folks are now back on you know on Twitter. Certainly, I think when it comes to protecting health workers and protecting health reporters and protecting all of us in public health. Um, who have been, uh, you know, attacked, harassed, targeted, 
we need to do more, clearly. You know, I, I, all of us have been have either been targeted or we know of folks who have been targeted with credible threats, uh, credible death threats. A, a, a friend and colleague of mine received a handwritten note to her house after she had what? been promoting masks in the community. You know, what? they had to get the police, put cameras everywhere. Another friend of mine got white powder sent to her office. Um, you know, so there needs to be clearly more done to protect those of us involved in the public communication science from those kinds of attacks. Um, that is next level. You know, I mean, of course, universities need to do more. We need to get, it, get the science agency involved, law enforcement involved, all of those sorts of things, right? There was an Austrian doctor who ended up dying by suicide because anti-vaxxers had harassed her so much. I mean, she, you know, she died as a result of that kind of harassment. We've got to do more to protect folk. There's no doubt about that. Um, and awful. we are learning. Wow. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'm interested in this. I've been, I've been involved in this. I'm not an academic who studies how to um, reduce disinformation and misinformation, but there are scholars out there who have been studying this, and they've shown, for example, that there are ways of kind of inoculating the public against misinformation. You can sort of, you know, expose them to the right, the scientific, you know, correct arguments before they hear nonsense, a bit like vaccines, building antibodies to resist a virus. A virus. You, can, mm. you can kind of inoculate people with information. Also, research has shown that exposing who is behind the misinformation and disinformation, who is paying for it, that can help. You know, legal and political strategies can help. Figuring out who the disinformation merchants are, how are they networked. I mean, during COVID, there has been an extraordinary network of these organizations. And, sh and it's been helpful to map those, expose those, follow the money trail. All of those things we know can help. Honestly, I appreciate your time so very much. And um, following along on your Twitter, I should mention at G Yamey, Y-A-M-E-Y, Professor Gavin Yamey, MD, MPH. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for standing up for and saying out loud the things that we all need to keep in mind. What you just said about people's homes being... Um, targeted and and with white powders and and the impacts that can that can take the oh, life of awful. somebody harassed awful. it's just no, no, it's awful. just terrible. and i know we're running yeah. out of time but you know i had one person coming after me through my work and that was without a doubt the worst week of my life because i thought yeah. that he was going to go after my kid my wife and then i thought well i caused this by speaking out against anti-vaxxers if i'd been Quiet, quiet, I wouldn't have right. been targeted. And that's a terrible way of thinking because, you know, it's not my fault that there are 100%. people like that out in the world. So 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. And I know you and I have talked about this on our discussions yeah. on Twitter. And I've said here publicly, it is next Friday that the one who had harassed me will enter a guilty plea and get his sentence for doing exactly oh, what you just explained. Yeah. And I was, yeah. the, the pivot for me was when he mentioned my son. And that, it, if you're listening right now and you're angry, that's fine. But you do not 
you do not come at the personal attacks like that. It is, it, you got to look at yourself in the mirror on that. And, and professor, I thank you for this conversation. Like it was with going on the podcast and maybe just reaching one person. Maybe there was somebody screaming at the radio 10 minutes ago, who's now thinking about uh, what they might do next to be better. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks for having me.